Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode of the Joy and Infertility Podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Porter, and my hope is that you will join me on this road of finding joy even in infertility. Hello again. I recently had the honor and privilege of interviewing Beth Forbes, who is the voice behind the super popular infertility podcast, Sarah's Laughter. Not only that, but she runs her full-time infertility ministry and has really paved the way for many of us to do what we do. She was an advocate for women walking through infertility long before it was cool to talk about. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I tried to cut our conversation down, but honestly, I had too much fun talking to her and she had too much wisdom to share to cut anything out. So you get to hear the whole thing today and it is amazing. I could have talked to her all day long. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Your infertility story is eventually going to be part of your history and not your everyday. But what's going to happen, and you can write this down, what's going to happen is you're going to take these lessons you're learning in infertility's classroom and you're going to use them for a crisis that comes 20 years down the road. There is such value in listening to someone who has lived more life than we have, and that is Beth. She's speaking from a place years from where many of us sit right now. So let's not waste any more time listening to me. Let's get to my conversation with Beth. Oh, hey, Beth. Welcome to the Joy and Infertility Podcast. Hey, Kaylee. Thanks for having me. So today I get to interview the interviewer. You are normally on the other side of the microphone um, with your own podcast about infertility called Sarah's Laughter. So is this weird or are you completely used to doing this by now? It is a little bit and you're going to have to forgive me if I start asking you questions just out of (laughs) habit. (laughs) Hey, we'll just we'll just flow with it. This will be like a (laughs) co-interview. So you have been you have your podcast for what, three years now? Um, I believe it's four. I think it's four. four years. So hundreds of episodes, support groups across the globe. You do conferences. Um, I read about butterfly boxes. So your ministry, Sarah's Laughter, stays super busy. We do. But let's go back before Sarah's Laughter. And why don't you tell us your story? Okay. Uh, it's almost hard for me to think back before Sarah's Laughter. <laughs> it's become such a uh, such a huge part of our lives. but. In the back in the day, in the beginning, uh, <laughs> my husband and I were pretty much like like so many others. Our, our story was uh, not a whole lot different than a lot of other people's. We got married, and um, we thought we thought we had everything under control. Right, uh, we were going to do what everybody else did. Uh, we we had finished our educations. We had real jobs, and uh, we were we had been married for about a year and decided that we were ready for a baby and we were going to do what everybody else did to have babies and i remember i made an appointment with the doctor to go just to be checked out which i actually thought was being a little um i was i felt a little thorough. silly yeah well, i felt a little silly <laughs> Very a, yeah right a little too much you know uh my husband would say too much is enough he says that all the time um but I thought I was being a little silly, but I'd go ahead and go to the doctor and just let her check me out. Um, I think I was just kind of, I wanted to hear her say how, how good everything was Um, and let her tell me, um, give me the green light, go ahead. And um, just told her we were ready for a baby and let's go. 
And she told, I remember, I remember for some reason, I just felt like I needed to tell her about a cousin that I had that had been diagnosed with PCOS, which I had no clue what PCOS was. None. I just knew that my cousin had it and that she had tried to have a baby for a lot of years and had not. And she had had um, a really devastating loss at, at 20 weeks of pregnancy. And for some reason, I just wanted to tell her that just in case it had anything to do with it. Although I knew it didn't because I didn't even know what PCOS was. And so when I told my doctor this, she said, well, you know, Beth, go ahead and start trying. And uh, if you're not pregnant in six months, come back. And I thought six months, are you crazy? It's like, I'll be, I'll be fat and puking by six months. (laughs) And so, um, I had six months written down on my calendar and literally uh, had an appointment for six months to the day. Because for one thing, I could not believe I wasn't pregnant by six months. Hmm. Because that did not fit in my plan. Um, <laughs> I figured I would already be waddling by six months. Yeah. Because everybody in my family had babies whenever they wanted, however they wanted, and usually had the gender they wanted. Um I, I I was bumfuzzled that I was not pregnant at six months. So six months to the day, I'm back in her office and I'm like, so what is this? And she's drawing blood for me or setting appointments for the right day. You know how that goes. And she's drawing blood and doing all this. Well, she's like, I'm, I ask her, so when will these tests come back? And she's like, oh, you know, a week from Thursday or whatever she said. Well, a week from Thursday, I didn't wait for her to call me. I was in her office without an appointment. <laughs> I think we're learning up, a little about your personality right maybe now. Maybe just a smidge. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, going up to the receptionist and saying, I have blood work coming back today. <laughs> and I thought, I'm just going to park myself in the waiting room to um, get these results. And, you know, Kaylee, I remember sitting in that waiting room that day, naive as I could be, but I remember thinking today is going to either just be erased from my mind and just in no time, or this day is going to change my life. Mm. And I remember (laughs) without an appointment, the nurse called me back and she said, we did get your test results back. And I remembered she just sat me in like a a hall or we were just in a hallway and there were people everywhere and there were pregnant women walking around with their cups of urine and, and all this stuff. And I was not even in a room because I remember I didn't even have the privacy of the four walls of a, of an exam room. I was just standing in a hallway with all these people around me. And that nurse told me that I had PCOS Mm. and I didn't know what it was. And I didn't know what questions to ask and I didn't really know what it meant, but I knew that the trajectory of my future changed. I knew that it was not all I knew was that it was not going to be able, it wasn't going to be easy for me to have a baby. And I looked at this nurse and I said, what does that mean? And she said, it means you don't ovulate. And I said, well, what, but what does that mean? And she looked at me and she went, (laughs) If you don't ovulate, you don't have a baby. Mm. And I look, I just, I, 
and I didn't know what to ask. I didn't know what to say. Mm. And I felt my whole body start to go numb. And she said, you're just going to need to make an appointment to talk to the doctor. And I think I had irritated her because I didn't have an appointment. I just kind of busted my way in and all this stuff. And I remember walking out of there and I, and my car was parked in a parking garage and I remember barely making it to my car. And I just sat in that car and just sobbed because I was so confused and terrified and I remember that, but this does, this is not, this can't be, this is not what we were going to do. This is, I can't have this disease. I don't know what, Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. I don't know what it is. And I remember somehow I drove to my husband's office. He had an office in mid city and, and I drove there and honestly, I, I have no memory of making that drive. And I've said so many times, I think God just protected me on that drive because I was so devastated. You know, you hear that statistic about, uh, an infertility diagnosis being as emotionally devastating as the diagnosis of cancer. And when I hear mm-hmm. that statistic, I think of that day for me because I believe that would have been as di- as devastating as a cancer diagnosis to me that day. Mm. Because I have no memory of that drive. And I believe God just protected me as I, as I made my way to my husband's office that day. And I remember I walked in the office and so familiar with his whole staff and I hear everybody laughing and talking and I just walked in and didn't say anything to anybody. And I walked to Jason's office and I opened the door of his office and he just looked up at me and his face was normal, you know, and he looked up and he saw my face and he said, Beth, what's wrong? And I looked at him and I said, I have that. And I tried to say the word disease and it wouldn't even come out of my mouth. And when I was trying to say tell him, my knees buckled and I started sliding down the wall and it might sound dramatic, (laughs) but to me, the way that nurse had, had tried to explain it to me, it was like, she was telling me I would never have a child because all she said was you don't ovulate. And if you don't ovulate, you don't have a baby. Yeah. And that was was a lot. This was before years of social media and just right. infiltration of right. these and these term this terminology. It was a foreign concept. It was, and at that point, the only person I had ever known with it had just gone through the devastating loss at twenty weeks of pregnancy. So that's all I knew about it at this point, right? You know, and mm. so this is the information I was given at first, and so that's what I thought my future looked like, and I was just so overwhelmed and didn't know what to do and didn't know where to turn and there were no support groups in Baton Rouge then and and I didn't know anybody except somebody who was grieving so heavy that that she was not at a point where she could help somebody else and Jason just came over and he grabbed me and he hugged me and he was like we're gonna get through it and I remember daddy was a pastor and of course we turned to to them because he was not only my my daddy but he was my pastor too and and I remember them praying for us so so strong and and daddy looking at me right in the face and saying Beth God is the giver of life and he's he's the one that will give you this baby and those were such strong words that I went back to so many times as I mm-hmm. as we started the the procedures and and as we started seeking medical care and and we started you know seeing doctors and it's so easy when things go right to just fall in love with your doctor you know and be so grateful for what they do for you and and all this stuff and those those words just kept ringing back in my ears but God is that giver of life God is the one who's yeah. going to give you this baby. And, and over the course of time, we got diagnosed with 
I got diagnosed with endometriosis and I had so many adhesions from the scar tissue and surgeries and shots and pills and uh, all the stuff that you do. And, and uh, it was, it's just one of the most devastating things that, that a young couple can walk through, especially in those early years of marriage when you're still starry eyed, yes. when you look at each other, you hadn't even learned how to get mad good yet. You know, um, <laughs> that's, that's a good start. I don't know. We, we got mad pretty quick, pretty early. <laughs> well, our, our worst fight at this point was over Monopoly, you know, because I cheat and he oh, doesn't. And so, you know, that that's as far as our fights have gotten at this point. But, <laughs> you know, and, and we're facing, you know, medical issues and financial issues and, yes, you know, yes. and our future didn't look so bright anymore. And all of this happened with one doctor's visit and we, we just got thrown for a loop, but you know, that was, it was through all of that, that we, we learned how to communicate and we learned how to really pray and how to pray for each other. And we learned how, when he was up and I was down, he learned how to swoop in and do for me things that he never would have learned how to do for me. He learned how to leave me alone when I needed space instead of coming in and trying to fix everything. Sometimes he mm -hmm. learned to leave me on the end of the couch and just let me think. And then he learned when he needed to swoop in and sit beside me. It, mm -hmm. Infertility is a magnificent classroom. And God does some yes. of his greatest, his greatest teachings right there. Um, God brought us through it and he brought it, th brought us through it so strong. Mm -hmm. And, um, eventually God gave us that miracle baby and my miracle baby's 19. So I'm a good bit older than most of your listeners, <laughs> but, um, uh, <laughs> you know, the sting of infertility has never gone away or, or part, yes. some of it mm -hmm. never goes away. Uh, you always remember, uh, what it's like. You always remember that longing for that child. Um, there's a lot more to that story and Lord have mercy. I could take up your whole podcast in the next three or four episodes too, telling it. Um, <laughs> but through all of that struggle, God really became so real to me, so real to me. And in fact, infertility was how he showed me that he loved me. Um, Jason was a, um, a youth pastor while we were going through this. And, um, <laughs> I don't know that I was really good at all this. You know, I see these girls in the support group that I lead and how they handle it and how they lean on Jesus and how they do all this. And I'm like, boy, I was a slacker. God had to work <laughs> hard on me um, because I just, I don't think I did well going through this. And I tell the girls in the support group, I'm like, I'm so just in, just in awe of, of your, of the way you handle your infertility. Cause y'all wouldn't have liked me at all when I was going through it. Cause I, I just, uh, in, in our support, the room that we do our support group in here at the support center in Baton Rouge has two couches and they have, they have affectionately nicknamed one of the couches, the grump, the grumpy couch. It's, Cause when you come in and you're in a really bad mood, you sit on the grumpy couch. And so I, <laughs> I'd have been stuck on the grumpy couch for three years. Um, <laughs> well, in, in your defense, how, like how much support did you have? I mean, I know your, your dad was a support, your husband, basically zero, but did you have a support group? Like what you are facilitating now? I ha we had an informal support group 
that's what I call them anyway. Um, it was the cousin that I told you about that had PCOS and mm-hmm. had lost her baby. Um, that cousin and one other woman who uh, was going through infertility and we were friends before uh, the, the friend, obviously I'd known my cousin my whole life. And then the other lady, we were friends before uh, either of us had gotten married, but they lived two hours away from me. And mm-hmm. so, and um, so the, the support that I had was, it was not, and y'all I'm a dinosaur. We didn't have social media. And so we couldn't like text each other. And say, hey, I started a stupid period today. You know, it was one of those things that we were two hours away and you talked about it when you saw each other. And I think just, I think text, I mean, when you said that, I'm like, can you imagine having to pick up the phone back in the day and like actually call the person to tell them, like you didn't vent like that to your friends, I doubt, because texting is so... I can still feel safe. Text this out there. Get you to start praying. Get you to love on me or whatever I need. But I don't have to talk to you. I don't have to see you. It's a safe place to open up. Is that behind the screen? And you didn't have that. Right. And see, we we traveled two hours every weekend to help out at this church. And so that's when I would see them. I am making myself sound like I rode horses to get to work or to church or something. It's not that bad, but I mean, we didn't have that then. And so um, I would see them on the weekends when we would go two hours to go to church. And let me tell you, we vented all over the place on weekends, Mm -hmm. but I would see two people on the weekend and that was it. So all through the week, when I would be going for IUIs and blood work and when I would start periods or when I would be so just wrecked with my emotions or I would find out somebody else had gotten pregnant and all the stuff that you go through, I would have to wait till the weekend to talk to somebody about it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't handle it well. (laughs) I didn't handle it. I wouldn't have either. Yeah, I just didn't handle it well. But it was through all those struggles and maybe through um, some of that isolation, whether self-imposed or not, that's when God got to me. And he's like, Beth, I'm going to show you how how much I love you through, through your infertility. Because that same desire you have for a baby is the desire that I have for you. Mm. And the way you want that baby so intensely, that's how badly I want a relationship with you. Wow. And when God got that message through to me, it kind of rocked my world to know that he wanted me that badly, that he wanted relationship with me the same way I wanted that baby, that he wanted me as his child as badly as I wanted my child to come to me. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in that intimate relationship Absolutely. with him. Absolutely. No, I love that. So how, at what point in your journey did that kind of finally sink in for you? I can tell you exactly when and exactly where. Um, Jason, as I said, was working with uh, the teenagers and um, he had given them <laughs> like a, they were doing like a discipleship course and he had told them to spend some time thinking about how God showed his love to them. And because I was his wife and felt like I needed to kind of help out, I, I was going to do the same thing. Didn't want to. Heart wasn't in it. I was I was sitting on the grumpy couch. And um, 
did it out of obligation and obligation alone. And um, I remember going for a walk through our neighborhood before I had to go buy groceries. And I told Jason that's what I was doing. I said, I'll be back in a few minutes. Uh, so go to the store with me when I get back or something like that. And so I just went for a walk and I was mad and I was sad and I did not want to talk to God about anything, but it was obligation to my husband and what he was doing and wanting to support him. And I started walking through the neighborhood and telling God how he showed me that he loved me when I felt more unloved at that season in my life than I ever had in my whole life. And I was like, well, you've given me a good husband and you gave me a good family and I'm just checking things off a list. You know, mm. you've provided for me. We have this nice house and we're other than infertility, we're healthy. And I'm just, I mean, like, like a mad teenager, just checking things off my list, man. And it was like, God interrupted me in that moment. And he spoke to me more clearly than he ever has in my life before that time or since. And he just said to me, Beth, your infertility is how I show you that I love you. And it just stopped. I know if neighbors were watching, they thought I'd lost my mind because <laughs> I just stopped. And I felt like God spoke to me and he said, your infertility is how I show you that I love you. And he explained that to me in, in comparing my desire for a child and his desire for me. And it was a beautiful thing. And it turned my, um, my understanding of my infertility around because growing up in a pastor's home, I thought I had done everything right. I had yeah. taught Sunday school since I was 16. I had always tithed every dollar I'd ever gotten. I had given to missions and, you know, even turned the lights on and off at the church building, you know, uh, <laughs> before and after services. <clears throat> and if I hadn't done things right, who had? And I guess I got kind of a cocky, almost prideful, you know, God, here's my spiritual resume. Now, where's my baby? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you put in, it's a vending machine. Right. You put and, in good, you expect good out. Right. And I was real bad about showing him my resume all the time, you know, and if I, if I could have thought of anything that I could have, that I missed out on, you know, and I just got this, this punishment mentality that he had to be punishing me for something and I don't know what it is. And if I can just figure it out, then I'll go back and make the corrections, you know, and that, that moment that day is what made me realize, look, this is not a punishment to me. This is how he is getting my attention <laughs> and he is showing me his passion for me. Mm. And every time I see, you know, a pregnant woman or a newborn baby and I just feel that, mm, that baby hunger and I'm just, oh, I want that baby so bad, then I know God wants me that bad too. That he just sees me and he's just like, oh, I just want that relationship with her. I want it. I want her to know me the same with that intensity that I want that newborn, that I want that pregnant belly, that I want that positive test. Wow. You know, and it changed how I looked at my infertility. It really did. You know, and that was, I, w I did not get pregnant right then. I still walked through, you know, just the insanity of the hormones that, that, you know, made me crazy when I was, um, 
taking all the medicines and doing all the procedures and, and, you know, crying my way through the night on my bathroom floor and, you know, all the shots and the surgeries and, you know, the, the, the having to work through things with my husband and all this, all that still came. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's what, while that, I, yeah. Discovering that moment for you was not, your fix all for the rest of your years of your journey. No, there were still no. grumpy couch days. There were still, hard I, moments. I still sat on the grumpy couch, yeah. but, but underneath it all, I had a different understanding. Yeah. I ha- and, and what I left out, wow, I left this out when, when that day, that transformative day, as I took that walk and God showed me his love for me, God also spoke to me and said, when your child comes to you, you will feel the joy that I feel when you come to me. Oh, that's and so, so sweet. I knew that day that I would have a child, even though she didn't come for a long time. So after that day, as I laid on the bathroom floor crying through the night, I knew God's got this. He, he loves me still. He loves me while I'm laying on the bathroom floor. He mm-hmm. loves me while I'm weeping through the night. He loves me when I'm fighting with Jason. <laughs> he loves me when I am losing my mind because this medicine's making me crazy. Mm. And I know that he's going to be good to his word and send us a child. I didn't know how that yeah. child was going to get there or when. But I knew that God was good for his word. And he was. And he sent us a healthy baby girl. And... uh and did what he said he would do. Wow. So all of that, you had your miracle. When did you know that like Sarah's laughter was, was, was going to happen? <laughs> okay. So, um, she was born and I was done. <laughs> Immediately. Uh, yes. Well, we, when she was about four, we tried, um, we tried to have another child and, <laughs> They they may as well have given shots to my dog because that's about, I, I think I would have responded about the same way. It, nothing worked. Nothing worked. I mean, mm. we did the shots and the pills and the surgeries and all the same procedures. My doctor told me that he would start me the second time with the same thing that got me pregnant the first time. And nothing worked. And I thought, you know, I'm just not all into all this again. It just didn't feel like what I needed to be doing. So we started feeling like we were um, being pulled towards adoption. And so um, very long story made very short. We attempted to adopt from St. Petersburg, Russia. And there is a hilarious story behind all of that, that I won't waste your time on. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's bad. Um not bad. It's just, anyway. Uh, okay, now I have to tell it because... <laughs> I was about to say, I feel like you're, I feel like you're about to say it. I'm just going yeah, to let you walk yourself it. into See, it. Okay, all my life. <laughs> we were going, to, when we decided to adopt, we decided to, to try from Russia. And feel free to edit this out if this makes your eye twitch. <laughs> um, he, all my life, um, Daddy had talked about his grandmother being born on a Russian ship. Um as her family was immigrating to the States. And so when Jason and I decided to adopt, I thought, well, you know, that would be a really cool thing to do. If we're going to adopt, let's adopt from Russia because, you know, 
we won't be biologically related clearly, but it would be kind of nice to have the same heritage, you know, that um, I have Russian ancestry because my great grandmother uh, was born on a Russian ship coming over. And um, that would just be kind of cool. We'd have a little bit of a connection that way anyway, both having a Russian heritage. And so we went through this whole procedure and um, I mean, there is a ton of stuff you have to do if you're going to adopt internationally. And for those who have done it, kudos to you because you have put in some hard work and lots of money and all this stuff. And one day I was at my parents' house in Mississippi and we're standing there and daddy's got his little cup of coffee and he's leaning up against the counter. I can see this in my mind's eyes so clear. And daddy said, Beth, you never have told me why have y'all decided to adopt from Russia? And I said, because we're Russian. And he looked at me and he said, what are you talking about? Oh gosh. And I said, we did. And I went into the whole spiel. I'm like, well, we said, we know we won't be biologically related to the child, but we thought it would be kind of cool to, you know, adopt where we could ha- at least share a, a heritage. And I said, since we're Russian, we thought we would, and I'm looking at him and he's looking at me and we're, we're both looking at each other. Like, like we Why just grown we a third this? head. Right. <laughs> and he's looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm looking back at him. Like he, he's like, Beth, we're not Russian. And I said, yes we are (laughs) he said no we're not and I said yes we are and we're he said why do you think we're Russian I said because you've always told me we are he said no I haven't and I'm like who are you (laughs) and we're going and I said daddy you've always talked about your grandmother he said what I said daddy you've always talked about your grandmother being born on a Russian ship on the way over here and he said well, Beth, the ship was Russian. She was German. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and when he said that, I just, we just stood there and looked at each other for like a minute without either one of us ever. Because at this point, we were still in the middle of this adoption. So the adoption <laughs> ended up not working and we have one child and, and it's a long story after that. And anyway, oh but my gosh. I, we were still in the process of trying to adopt a Russian child because we were Russian. And we weren't Russian. Well, that would have been funny to tell your teenage son <laughs> in the years. <laughs> well, right? we thought we would so have. We thought we got you because, yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it it was disastrous. That's not why the adoption didn't work. But it, we never told the social worker that part of the story after it was all over, <laughs> after it was all said and done. And we sincerely felt like God closed the door on the adoption. And that's why we didn't follow through with it. But, yeah, so um, anyway, we tried to adopt <laughs> after after um, Lexi was born and all that was done. So we are complete and settled with a family of three (laughs) and so um i don't know if i've ever told that story even on our podcast but anyway so i see i told you i was really good at going down rabbit trails (laughs) Sarah's laughter that's where we were going (laughs) right right um so anyway we had lexi and um we had tried a second time tried adoption and we just really felt like god closed the door and say this is it Mm -hmm. this is your family so we were actually very, very content. And so we were done and I was done with infertility. It had worn me out and I felt yeah. like it had consumed my whole marriage because we started trying just before we'd been married a year. And so I felt like it had consumed everything. I was done. I didn't want to hear about it. I, if you started talking about it, which not many people did, but if anybody started talking about it, I would just kind of politely change the conversation and go like oh, order wow. a sandwich or something. 
um, if it came on TV in a movie or something like that, I'd change the channel. I was, I was done. I just didn't mm-hmm. want to hear. I was just tired of it. I felt like it had been everything we had done for our whole, our whole life together. And I just wanted to enjoy my miracle baby and go on. And then one day we were on a little weekend getaway to the beach and Lexi was in her car seat and she was happy and playing and Jason was driving and I was going to take a nap. And as soon as I kind of laid my head back, I went to sleep, but as soon as I just kind of laid my head back, I felt like God hit me. Um, And all the words on every page of a book that I wrote flooded my brain all in an instant. I can't explain it any other way. But every word on every page flooded my mind all at one time. And I shot straight up in my seat and I looked at Jason who was driving and I said, I need a paper and pen. And he looked at me and he said, I don't, I don't have one. I said, but I need a paper and pen. And he's like, I'm driving. I know he thought I lost my mind, but I just kept saying, I need a paper and pen. I've got to have a paper and pen. He's like, Beth, I don't have anything. And I started digging through the trash can in my car and (laughs) And I started digging out receipts and napkins and stuff like that. And I started trying to write down what was going through my mind before I lost it. Because I was so scared I was going to lose what was happening in my mind. And I just started writing as fast as I could. And and all the way home for about four or five hours, I was steadily writing on anything I could find. And I mean receipts and like tags off of car seats. And I mean anything I could find. And I'm just steadily writing and writing and writing. And it was biblical encouragement for people going through infertility. And it was a book that, that we, we titled baby hunger. Mm. And that was the beginning of Sarah's laughter because I went back to my fertility specialist and I showed it to him and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. And he's like, we got to get this out. And that became um, our first book. We've put out three. Um, And that was what started it, really, what started Sarah's Laughter. And from that moment, at a red light in Foley, Alabama, um, God planted in me just this ridiculously insane desire to bring support to people who are walking through infertility that will not go out. It will not lessen. It's not. That's been many, many years ago. And wow. um, it hasn't dimmed at all. And I can't not do it. Um, so what was what done. year was that? Oh, like 2004. Wow. Because Lexi was about um, about four years old and she's 19 now. Wow. And we've done it ever since. And um, right after that, <laughs> it was really kind of funny. Um, we wrote the book, got it published, um, just self-published it. And we decided we had to do something with it. We didn't, I mean, what am I going to do? Keep it in a box in my den. And so we decided we were going to do a workshop and, um, daddy had retired. So we didn't have his church to do it in. And so the church I was going to in Baton Rouge, um, they let us do a workshop in our little small conference in the, um, like at their church and we didn't have anybody to speak at it. So everybody in my family had a different last name. So everybody in my family were the speakers at this first conference (laughs) because we didn't know what else to do. And so um, 
yeah, everybody in my family had a different last name, but everybody in my family had been in ministry forever. And so they had all done stuff. One of my brother, my, one of my brother-in-laws was a grief counselor. So we used him. Oh, yeah. his, last, his last name was Bertishaw. My other, uh, one of my sisters had been very involved in a prayer ministry. So she talked about praying over your infertility and her last name <laughs> uh, was Anderson. So oh, we goodness. had a whole bunch of speakers and they were all my family, but we didn't tell anybody. That's you know, hilarious. I mean, you just get in there and you do what you, what you just, when you feel like God's calling you to do something, we just jumped in there and we did it and we, we did our best. And I laugh at, at our, um, our beginnings because we didn't really know what to do. We just wanted to reach people, Yeah, you know, and I laugh at how we did it, but, um, God blessed us. And I think he may have laughed at us a little bit too. <laughs> But we felt him calling us to do something, and that's how we started. And uh, God has blessed Sarah's laughter, and now we've got, um, we're hitting 50 support groups around the nation and hearing from more and more people uh, every week wanting to start support groups. And we've got our podcast that goes around the globe. Uh, you know the reach of a podcast and how you can reach mm. so many people, and it's such a blessing like, to do. What that. countries are are these that are listening to this? Never even heard We've of this. Got, oh, it's yeah, it's crazy how many countries you can reach. Yeah, um, we're in, and I, I'm sure this one does the same thing. I mean, we're in, we're in like countries that are where the gospel is forbidden mm-hmm. and God has taken this message to yeah. those countries, you know, where you can't go talk about Jesus, but our podcast gets in because it's an infertility podcast. Yeah. You know, and we're, we're getting in, we're getting in and bringing the gospel message there. And it's an amazing, amazing thing. You know, we started off um, just having speakers with different last names <laughs> You know, um, and now he's he's blessing us and we're able to get resources out around the world and and do like real conferences with real speakers. <laughs> Have you real know? guests on your podcast, right. not just your sister-in-law, brother-in-law. Right. That's so funny. <laughs> right. And um we're able to to give away IVF cycles and help couples have miracle That's babies. So and awesome. God has just kind of blown our minds with it a little bit. A whole lot of a whole lot of bit, not a little bit. Yeah, so. and and just think back to that six months after you got or a year after you got married when you set that appointment. The doctor said, "Call me back in six six months." Huh. Like he he had all this laid out, right. and he had in 2019 she will have all of this that she's doing and that I'm doing through her. And I mean, he just laid it out. It's it's incredible, and that's what people you don't see that on right on the day one. You don't see that on the diagnosis day, but right. But he's got a plan and he used right. it to teach you so much. And oh, I just, that's so awesome. If he had shown me all of this when I sat in that doctor's office that day, knowing that, you know, when I sat there and had that thought, either I'm going to forget this day or this day is going to change my life. Yeah. Wow. If he had shown me all of this that day, one, I wouldn't have believed it. Or two, it would have scared me to death and I would have tried to get here by my plans. Yeah. Okay, well, if I'm going to have to do 5Ks, you know, and give away IVFs and if I'm going to have to do conferences and stuff, I better start planning. And I would have tried to do it my way. And my way wouldn't have worked. (laughs) You know, because God, every event that Sarah's laughter does, every 
person that we reach. God has a specific way for us to do it and a specific way for us to reach out. And I can assure you, none of those would have been my way. Yeah. So he knows what he's doing. He, he, he knows what he's doing and he knows his timing. So through all these years of, of you, you know, 2004 on, of you walking this road yourself and also just supporting those of us who have walked through it. What are some, what would you say are some common lies that you've seen women or couples buy into as, as we face this road of infertility? I think there's a lot of lies. (laughs) Um, One of the biggest ones, one that I fell into is that this is a punishment Mm -hmm. Um, that God is punishing you for something. Maybe, maybe you believe that, um, you really messed up in your past. Maybe uh, some sin that you lived in or some, you know, some way that you fell short. And this is God saying, you know, you're just, I just don't, you know, I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to place this child in your care. How do I know that, that you're going to raise this child to be what I want this child to be? How do I know you're going to be that godly mama or that godly daddy? I think I'm going to put this one in somebody else's arms. This is not a punishment from God. You can look in scripture. In fact, I challenge you to look in scripture and look at these infertility stories. Go back and read Hannah's story and see if you can find the element of punishment there. Mm. Go back and read through Elizabeth's story. God called her righteous and blameless and barren. Mm. There's no record of inf- of punishment there. But we buy into it because we can't find any other reason. You know, I can't figure it out. So I had to do something wrong. And if I can just fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we buy into that. And I think another thing is that that we tend to believe that, that we can do this on our own. That me, that I can do this my, on my own, or my husband and I can do this on our own. We, we'll just kind of circle the wagons, so to speak, and we can handle this. No, you can't. <laughs> you know, um, Satan would love for us to isolate through this whole season. And I believe God wants us in community. Mm-hmm. I read Lisa, I'm reading Lisa Turker's book right now, and that statement just popped out. Because she's talked about um, the book, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. And she said, Satan doesn't isolate us to comfort us where you know in your mind you're like well this is this is safer because i'm i'm protected i can isolate myself he isolates us to crush you absolutely and so just i mean that's that is so true do not you cannot do this alone that is you know, that is a satan that's a satan tactic right there you know even jesus when he came uh to fulfill his ministry on this planet he surrounded himself with people mm-hmm now, if he surrounded, and he was him, God. <laughs> if he surrounded himself with people, what in this world makes me think that I can do life by myself? Right, I cannot, and so that's one reason we're here at Sarah's Laughter. We're so passionate about support groups and helping people launch support groups in their own community. We do not want you walking through this by yourself. It's too hard, and so and it's not and not just you and your husband. Y'all can't do it by yourself. You know, it's too much. Some, sometimes you just need somebody to talk to. Sometimes you need to vent. 
Sometimes you need somebody else to look at you and say, you know what? I love you, but you've lost your mind on this. Get off the floor, girl. (laughs) Get off the grumpy couch. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, come on. Yeah, you're right. Get up off the floor. We're going to go sit at Starbucks instead. Yeah. You know, um, but you've got to be surrounded by people. Yeah. You've got to have people around you. And that's one reason that we just will get in there with people and help them have these help the, help them launch support groups and help you keep them going. I mean, we've done this for a long time and we'll tell we'll help you know how to do it too. That's awesome. But yeah, I believe that is a lie straight from the pit that you need to keep this to yourself. Mm-hmm. because that leads into another lie of shame and guilt. There ain't no shame and guilt in this game. I believe God uses this for his good and for his glory. And he'll, oh, he'll bring good to you and to your marriage all because of infertility, that very thing that you hate so much and you're begging him to take away from you. He will turn this thing around. Oh, man. I was telling somebody the other day that if God offered me the chance to erase infertility from my life, even if he gave me the same daughter, I would beg him not to remove that from me. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And, and people listening, you may not be at that place, but. And that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> that's but okay. you will be. And I, I'm, I'm excited for the day. If you lean into him and trust him and allow, like what you said, I love what you said about this. It's a magnificent classroom. And if, oh yeah, if you can go through all the classes, like you will get there. The homework is killer. Yeah. But, you know, (laughs) but, but God's a really good teacher. Mm -hmm. And we kind of talked about this beforehand. Um, There's a lot of women who, have never even considered that this is a spiritual journey that, Mm -hmm. that even if they have a relationship with God, I don't know, maybe they don't realize that every part of their life is connected to that, or maybe they just don't have a relationship with God and they're listening to this and they're, I mean, I just can't imagine doing this without him. So what would you like, what would you tell that will tell her? You know, there are, there are, uh, even if you are not, a person of faith. If you have never, if you've never given God the time of day, (laughs) if this is something, if the thought of faith being a part of your infertility struggle is totally foreign to you, there are going to be questions of faith that come up during your infertility battle and they've got to be dealt with. Because they're not going anywhere. (laughs) If God, you know, things like if God really is a good God, then why did he let my baby die? Mm. And if he's, you know, if God is who he says he is, then why am I being punished? We've already addressed this punishment issue, but it's going to feel like a punishment to you. And so you start thinking, is is he punishing me? If he's this all-powerful God, and if he's the giver of life, how come he's not giving life in my womb? But a little crack addict down the streets on her third or fourth baby by 22. Mm-hmm. And you start to question God's role in your infertility. And these questions of faith demand to be addressed. And you know, this is one of those things that 
It just demands attention. And you know what? God will get your attention through this. Because any any fertility specialist worth his salt will tell you they can only do so much. They are brilliant men and women who have spent years in study, and they can do things that blow your mind. We were sitting up here at the Sarah's Laughter Center just yesterday talking about new advances in, in reproductive medicine and and how amazing it is. And I was telling somebody that I would love to just go sit in an embryology lab and watch what they do because it just fascinates me to no mm-hmm. end. But any fertility specialist worth their salt will tell you that they don't give life that they can force the conception of a, of an egg and sperm. They can force that fertilization. They can, they can make that happen, but they can't breathe life right there. They can only go, they can only take that process so far. And then it's God that gives life. And because of that, he will get your attention. Mm -hmm. God will use your infertility to pull you in to talk to you, to deal with you, to deal with your heart in a way that nothing else can. You know, I told our support group was meeting the other day and we were, we were talking about some pretty heavy things. And I said, you know, infertility is a trial unlike any other in a lot of ways. And I am talking and I'm, I'm speaking in sweeping generalities. So, so bear with me and don't nitpick on what I'm about to say, because like I said, this is this, these are generalities. If you have a financial struggle, there's a lot that you can do. You can maybe get an, uh, a side job or you can adjust your budget. We have several girls that are driving Uber because they need extra money, you know, to, to pay for their treatment or whatever. So there, there's a lot that you can do if you have a financial issue. You know, mm-hmm. if um, even with other health issues, if weight is an issue, I can I can cut back on my carbs. I can not drink Cokes anymore. That's my vice. Lord have mercy. You know, or you can stop smoking. There are things that you can do to turn things around. If if I don't like my job, then I can work. I can apply for other ones. I can, you know, go back to school, even if it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying there are other things that you can do. Yeah, there's ways to get unstuck. Right. That's the point that I'm trying to make. And again, I'm talking in generalities, but with infertility, yeah, you can do treatments and stuff like that, but not one of us can cause life in that womb. Mm-hmm. Not one of us can cause that miscarriage to unhappen. Yeah. Not one of us can cause that baby to not die. That is all in God's hands. Every bit of it. We can't force that. And so I said, you know, because of that, We are put in a very special place. We are given the privilege of being in the arena of infertility where we have, we have to come face to face with who God is. Is he who he says he is? Will he do what he says he will do? We cannot ignore it. We cannot push it aside. But God has given us this privilege of wrestling with him, of coming to know him in a way that we never have before. He's given us this privilege of being in this arena where we have to address those issues with him mm-hmm. because we don't really have a whole lot of choice and a lot of us will fight it at first. But when we surrender to that, when we surrender to that knowledge that, you know what, God really is in control of this. It's up to him. 
Mm-hmm. We can do what we can do. But the reality is it's up to God to grant life to that baby. It's up to God to, to bring that baby to term. And we get to know him in a way that we would, might not would have known him had we not been placed in this arena. Yeah. And ultimately, and that, is a that is a greater gift. It is. It is. And I don't think you can fully accept that and be excited about that until you're close to understanding it. Right. If that makes any sense. I mean, it's really hard perfect. when you're so far from feeling that way to think, how could that be better? This is what I want with everything. Mm-hmm. But when you get to that moment where you're like, oh, no, you are the treasure. Mm-hmm. Then you well, know. And that's even why I said we have to struggle with him on that. And yeah. he knows that. Mm-hmm. He knows how badly we want those babies. And yeah. he knows that this does not come naturally to us. And yeah. we have to wrestle with him through these through these yeah. hardships and through these questions. But but And you can't wrestle somebody that's not in the same room with you. You can't right. wrestle somebody that's sitting across the room from you. You have to be face to face, skin to skin, close, intimate. Right. And that's when the that's when the magic happens. Right. Oh man, you've said a lot. You've said a lot of good stuff. <laughs> I guess so you say you say back in the day when you would drive your wagon to work. Right. That's how long <laughs> that's how long you've been in this. So if you could boil all those years of wisdom, everything God's shown you, taught you in the classroom down to one nugget. Could number one, can you do that? Oh, <laughs> and then no. what would that nugget be? <laughs> Oh, that's a really big nugget. Um, <laughs> I think it would be trust him. Trust. Mm-hmm. And that, that sounds like it's a simple thing, but it's not. No. You have to trust him if the baby dies. You have to trust him if the money's not there for treatment right now. You have to trust him if it takes seven or eight years instead of seven or eight months. Mm-hmm. You have to trust him. When things don't go right, you have to trust him when you get good news because so many of us don't know how to take good news. Mm-hmm. You have to trust that this God who is as passionate about you as you are over your baby and even more so, you have to trust that he knows what he's doing and none of this is a mistake. That you may not understand him, but that is okay. Trust this God who loves you. Cause let me tell you what's going to happen. Your infertility story is eventually going to be part of your history and not your every day, mm-hmm. but what's going to happen. And you can write this down. What's going to happen is you're going to take these lessons you're learning in infertility's classroom and you're going to use them for a crisis that comes 20 years down the road. Man, Like this amazing dad I've talked about a couple of times. Mm-hmm. He succumbed to Alzheimer's disease. And what infertility did for me is the way I, tr- I learned how to trust a God who loved me, even when I didn't feel it. The way I learned how to trust a God during my infertility days. That trust I learned back then when the pregnancy test was negative over and over and over again. I took that same trust from my infertility days and took it into our Alzheimer's days when I was having to help my dad bathe and dress and step off of a curb and things like that. I 
the same trust I needed when I couldn't understand why that was happening to him is the trust I learned when I couldn't understand why God wouldn't give me a baby when I wanted one. That is some wisdom. Because you're going to carry those lessons from infertility Mm -hmm. into the crisis you face further down the road. Because here's the part you don't want to hear. Infertility is not the only crisis you're going to face. Exactly. But the lessons you're learning in infertility, you're going to take with you into the next crisis. Yeah. And that's a tremendous blessing, too. Yeah. And that's because God loves you. Man, we could talk all day. I told you. I I, I keep uh, just listening. I want to be in your support group. (laughs) Come on. We meet tonight. (laughs) We meet tonight. So how can, that's a leading into that question. How can people get connected? Because you have them all over the country. You have online support groups, Australia support groups. Right. So we have them all over. And if we don't have one in your community yet and you want one there, then all you have to do is email me and I'll talk you through it and we'll get you going there too. Uh, we're easy to find. We are at online at sarahs-laughter.com. It's S-A-R-A-H-S-laughter.com. Mm-hmm. And we have a listing of all of our support groups there and how to get in touch with those individual leaders. Um, if you can't find something there, email me. It's beth at sarahs-laughter.com. And I'll be glad to talk to you or help you find one close. If I can't find a Sarah's Laughter group, but I know of another one, I'll mm-hmm. let you know about that one too. We yes. just want you in a group. And oh yes. look, there's mm-hmm. there's a group that meets in your den too. You just don't realize it. Um, our online group meets. Um, and the way they have it set up, you can see and hear each other. And so it's easier to make connections that way. Um, mm-hmm. but you can connect that way. They meet right there in your den. No excuses. And you don't even have to clean up. <laughs> you can stay in your pajamas and everything. <laughs> so just figure out which couch you're gonna sit on. Right. Even if it's a grumpy couch, <laughs> you're allowed to come. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing what you do, Beth, and for um, paving the way for people to be open and vulnerable with their stories sure. because you kind of are a pioneer well, in that way. So thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Woo! I told you, so fun and so powerful. You just don't get to the point that Beth has come to without having walked through the fire and coming out on the other side, knowing Jesus deeper. I was reading recently, an author called these moments marked moments. The moment that you can look back like Beth did when she went on that walk early in her marriage and their infertility journey when God spoke to her so clearly. That was a marked moment for her. One of my marked moments was on my couch in the middle of the night when I was so shattered, but God clearly asked me, if you never get a baby, will I be enough? I knew the answer needed to be yes, that he was enough, but honestly, it was just the beginning of me praying that over my heart and then eventually believing it and knowing it, and it changed me forever. I find myself asking that question now when I face every hard situation in our lives. If the worst happens, if the outcome that we want doesn't happen, will he be enough? So what are your marked moments? Another marked moment was on a plane almost two years ago when God laid this podcast on my heart after our last failed IUI that we just knew was going to work, but didn't. And one year ago next week, April 10th, we dropped our very first episode, and I have been blown away ever since. I have loved having these conversations with our guests and with you as you send in your stories. 
So thank you for continuing to listen over the last year and sharing with those people in your life that are on similar journeys to us. We are so grateful to be on this journey with you. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Joint Infertility Podcast. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Remember, God is with you. He sees your heart. He loves you and he is good. There will be beauty born from your journey. Have a great day.